Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Coming up, one of the men chiefly responsible for unraveling the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. We take a look back and a look ahead. All on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Goldco. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. I'm Dr. Jason Nichols. I'm here with my good friend, Vince Colonnese. And we have an interesting show for you today. There's a lot of things going on that I think uh, involve our esteemed guests. So uh, Vince, I'm gonna let you bring it in and, and tell us who we have with us today. Uh, joining us today is our second favorite Patel behind our founder, Neil Patel. Cash <laughs> Patel uh, is an American attorney. He's a former government official. He also served as chief of staff to the acting United States Secretary of Defense under President Trump. And uh, Cash Patel is publishing has published a children's book that talks about the Steele dossier and the investigations that it sparked into claims of Russian collusion by Donald Trump and his campaign. A lot to get to today here. Uh, Cash, thanks for doing this, sir. Hey, I'm very excited to be on uh, The Daily Caller with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. The, uh, the children's book, The Plot Against the King. Boy, you sound like Joe Biden, the, uh, the, the, referring to the MAGA king. Uh, yeah. what, do you, wh what made you uh, write a children's book on this subject? Obviously, the, th the themology from Joe Biden was a deep-seated intelligence operation we've been planning for six years, <laughs> for him to get him to say that two days before launch. Now, you know, look, as a chief investigator for Russiagate under Chairman Nunes, who, you know, was responsible for exposing that the Clinton campaign paid for the dossier, that it was fraudulent and used my past as a former federal prosecutor to tell everybody how the FISA court was abused, you know, brave reporters like yourselves and journalists and media folks like yourselves were willing to take on the story when it came out four or five years ago, but everybody thought it was a lie because the left-wing media didn't wanna, didn't wanna tell it and didn't want it to be true. And now that we fast forward four or five years and you have the exposure of what is a total takedown of a presidential candidate and president by fake information from Russia bought and paid for by his political opponent, um, and then corrupt the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the US intelligence communities to act as your political agents in government. I mean, you literally can't ask science fiction to come up with this. So telling the truth then was important, but it's more important telling it to our children, we thought. You know, why shouldn't they be able to learn about Russiagate, the most compelling and probably most important story of the last 30, 40 years, you know, drowning uh, Watergate. And so we thought, let's figure out a way to have some fun with it. I mean, it's definitely a story that needs to be simplified, I think. Jason, like when we talk about the characters and all the all the machinations of how this was arranged, like it, every so often you get like, how do I tell this in a Cliff Notes way? How do I tell right. it in a very simple and under, right. easy to understand way? And so you, Cash, have put together a children's book that attempts to do that. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, that's exactly it. We were like, okay, how do we do this? And you use great creative uh, graphics and designs and you make colorful characters. So, I, you know, so we set the book, The Plot Against the King in medieval times. You have the MAGA King, Donald Trump. You have characters like the Shifty Knight and Keeper Comey and Hillary Quinton who are trying to take down the <laughs> empire. And then you've got a knight named Devon and a wizard named Cash 
who are out there on a quest for truth. I mean, who's not going to want to read that? Even if you go <laughs> online and you look at the reviews from the haters, uh -huh. they are literally calling us the worst things that I've been called in five years. But, you know, for my time running the Russiagate investigation for Devin, that just means we're all over the truth. They, they don't want to educate the children uh, the truth. And it's like, you know, they have, we came up with a, a, a nifty little thing. They got CRT and they want to shove CRT down our youths, our children's throats. Well, we have CRT too. We call it children's reading time. And it starts with the plot against the king. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How, how do you, you think that this is appropriate for just like parents to read to their kids? Or do you think this should be in schools and, and you know, school libraries and things like that? Yeah, we think both. You know, we really think, you know, there are lots of books that are being sent to schools right now that are inappropriate. So we, we should politicize. We should bring politics into the classroom. That, you're you're not, okay with is, that. This isn't politics. This is no, just, it's not. It's not it's politics. Not. How, how, how can it would be politics if you allowed a false story to be perpetuated in the classroom that says one political organization took down another by corrupting the government? right? And lying about it. But it's not politics. We don't name pol political parties in the book. We're saying that finding the truth is above politics and educating our children, even though it's hard and the fight is worth it, must, must come before any sort of politics. And we use colorful characters to, of course, bring that to light based on reality. But we're not saying you should be a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative. We're saying you should seek the truth. Okay, so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, um, well, so I guess we'll stick to the book right now because I, I know I've looked um, at some of the, uh, you know, people who have talked about the book. And one thing that they say um, that I, I don't know, you know, maybe you can clarify, but one of the things that people are saying is that it, it makes it seem as though the Steele dossier was what, uh, led to the Russia investigation, mm -hmm. whereas the Steele dossier, the FBI didn't get the Steele dossier until after the investigation had already started. So are you, uh, is, is that in the, is that in the book or is that just a misunderstanding of what's written in the book? I think it's a kind of a combination of the two. It, the Steele dossier is in the book and as the lead investigator, we were able to expose <laughs> that it was actually the Steele dossier that launched it. But what the FBI cleverly did was put in an electronic communication, we're getting in the weeds here, that even though they had received the Steele dossier information, they quote unquote launched Crossfire Hurricane formally in the FBI based on a tip from some Australian diplomat, which we now know Peter Strzok, who wrote that electronic communication launching that investigation, lied about the justification for it, not just to Congress, but in his book. And he recently, just about a month ago, admitted that he got it wrong. And so that's why I think it speaks clearly to getting this story right. And we've always said from the beginning in our report and um, when we put out the Nunes memo and everything that it was the Steele dossier that got this thing going. So, so George Papadopoulos didn't talk to the, didn't talk to the Australian diplomat? And, no, and they did all that. That was, part of, okay. that was part of the investigation once it took off. And right. what we've said from the beginning is that the Steele dossier was acquired by the Democratic Party leadership through Fusion GPS and Perkins Coie, which was one of the launching points for this investigation. That's what we've said from day one, and I and I stick by that. I'm looking uh, this week at the uh, the ongoing, and I'm sure you've been following with some attention, Cash, 
the ongoing uh, Michael Sussman trial. Yeah. Uh, John Durham has been, has accused him of lying to the FBI about the fact that he was working for Hillary Clinton. He had told the FBI that he wasn't working on behalf of any particular client. He was just approaching the FBI as a concerned citizen uh, and presenting information that demonstrated some sort of cyber link between Donald Trump and Alpha Bank and 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 uh, this basically Kremlin to Trump connection. Uh, and what we discovered from this week's trial is that FBI analysts within under a day had concluded that there was no basis for this. They, in fact, thought that the people who had presented the information must have been mentally ill. That was their assessment. Uh, and that also that uh, Sussman himself, we are told, of course, in the charging documents, had uh, had billed the Hillary Clinton campaign for the time that he spent telling the FBI about this supposed connection. What are you finding interesting out of uh, these proceedings? You know, I'm glad that John Durham's doing this investigation. And look, the, the, the Sussman indictment is based on my interrogation of Sussman under oath four years ago when we, re when we interviewed 60 some odd witnesses under oath, including um, the heads of the intelligence and uh, law enforcement agencies. But Sussman was one of them. And, he, and I asked him, are you, are you doing this work? And I'm quoting, but you can go get the, uh, the transcript. It's publicly <laughs> now. It's going to be classified. Who are you representing? Why are you here? And he basically said, I'm here for the Hillary Clinton campaign. And John Durham has, has entered that exhibit into his prosecution chief, uh, case in chief this week in court. So to me, I've always known that when Michael Sussman, he wasn't said he wasn't there for a client, he was lying or he lied to Congress. It's, it's one or the other. And John Durham's gone ahead and charged him with lying to the FBI because he's brought in supplemental in information that you cited, plus the text message uh, that Sussman sent to James Baker the night before the meeting. That's the crux of the issue where Sussman in his own words said, I'm coming as a patriot. I'm not coming on behalf of any client. So it's a paper case, you know, for me as a former federal prosecutor, it's pretty hard, even with whatever you want to say about juries in DC and whatnot, you have one statement under oath to Congress and you have a statement in a text message from the defendant who's charged it's it's going to be tough to overcome that. By the way, in today's uh, testimony, and we're, and we're recording this on uh, Thursday, um, in today's testimony, you did have James Baker uh, sitting there uh, in court, and he said that he was 100% confident that Sussman told him in September of 2016 that he wasn't there for a client. Uh, that's going to be, you know, we'll see what the jury well, does with this. This is a DC jury, but this is Baker saying, yeah, he definitely told me he wasn't there for a client. No, I mean, that's in the text message. But I think Sussman, if I understand correctly, his defense is that though he was working for the uh, the Clinton campaign, that he wasn't coming on behalf of the Clinton campaign. And so uh, I think it's going to be tough to actually kind of prove that there was that link, that he was doing that on behalf of the Clinton campaign without like a paper trail for that. And I also, one thing I will say, and I don't know Democrats, even people that I know who are really hardcore Hillary Clinton people. And of course, a lot of the MAGA people that I know, I don't know anybody who was happy with the FBI <laughs> during that whole 2016 period. No one liked the FBI. And no one, a lot of people don't trust the FBI. So Sussman, I think his, argument is the FBI was of course aware that I worked for Clinton. Like they, they weren't unaware of this. And so I guess I want to ask Cash, like, what do you, what do you think about Sussman's defense that the FBI was aware I was working for Clinton. I wasn't coming on behalf of 
uh, Clinton when I delivered that, you know, data hard drive or whatever. And I think that it's going to be hard to draw that link in front of a, of a jury and particularly a jury that's not necessarily inclined to A, believe the FBI and B, uh, to, you know, make links because they, you know, they feel partisan one way or the other. I think Sussman needs to hire you because that's the best, like, succinct defense that I've heard put out of <laughs> Sussman. I'm serious. And look, before I was a federal prosecutor, I spent eight years as a public defender um, down in Miami in federal and state court. And we would always, when we were limited on the facts, what you do is you put the cops on trial, the bureau, these special agents, what have you, and you try to go after their credibility. And you're right. Their credibility across the board, the FBI has been you know, devastated over the last couple of years, Republican, Democrat, middle, left, right, or what have you. So that's in his favor for sure. What's not in his favor, and one of the things I did during the <coughs> Russiagate investigation was like, I told Devin, I was like, look, follow the money. Money doesn't lie. And what's going to be some of the strongest information to supplement what we just talked about is the is the billing records from his law firm at the time that he was bringing this information to James Baker, the head counsel. They've introduced into evidence billing records that simultaneously show he's charging uh, the clients for that information. And so it's going to be tough for them to sort of navigate around that. But it's a good defense to come in to say, well, we really can't trust the FBI. And by the way, I called my friend, James Baker, who's testified under oath and says, Michael Sussman's still his friend. And I don't know if that helps yeah. him or hurts him in this case, but, but I see your point. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a pretty good defense for them to stand on. Um, but I think Mark Elias didn't help them yesterday. Yeah, yeah. No, the, co the collapsing faith in that institution uh, has been a, such a tragedy. Uh, and, it's, and it's their own fault. I mean, it's their own fault. Uh, and, you know, and, and certainly James Comey and all of the behavior that took place in 2016 that you unraveled, uh, you know, this is, um, I've been meaning to ask you, Cash, I, I uh, looking back on uh, your efforts with Devin Nunes to investigate the wrongdoing here. Uh, remember, we had those like conflicting memos that came out from your team, <laughs> Devin Nunes, and also Adam Schiff's team. Yeah. And Adam Schiff was making all sorts of assertions about sort of the sanctity of the FBI and how everything was on the up and up. And Devin Nunes was saying, no, no, there's there's a this is a disaster. There's abuses here in surveillance. And in the end, the inspector general report that came out from the Justice Department sided with your team, with Devin Nunes's team saying, yeah, no, that's exactly right. There were sub substantial abuses here. What was your relationship like, if any, with Adam Schiff and his team while you were in Congress? Did you guys like like talk to each other? Was it icy cold? I mean, what is it like behind the scenes? I mean, back then, you know, we tried to always be professional because I told Devin, I said, look, I don't know. When I started this investigation, I didn't know Donald Trump. I hadn't met him. And I said, you are, you're hiring me for my investigative background. And I work in the intelligence community and I had experienced the FISA. So I, I made him a promise. I said, look, whatever we find, we're putting out the truth. And I learned as a prosecutor, the best way to do that is to put is to take their documentation, they the FBI, and they the campaign or they the intelligence community. And when we wrote our memo, we didn't like make up summaries and use our own words. We took their documentation, their transcripts under oath, their testimony, like, like the likes of McCabe and Sussman and Elias. And we, we put that forward to the American people because we knew it would test, withstand the test of time. We knew, of course, we'd lose the battle in the media and the relationship with look you're always i've always at least said it's congress you have to respect the institution and the members of congress whether you agree with them or disagree with them and we tried to maintain that the entire time the staff sometimes got a little heated things got emotional but we tried to maintain 
the, the, the level playing field by saying, look, this isn't about you or me. We have a job to do. And if we find normally like, you know, the 9-11 commission, sort of the blue, blue, blue ribbon way to do this bipartisan investigation, but we sort of lost that, that path after the Russiagate investigation or during the Russiagate investigation. So it was kind of unfortunate. And look, as a guy who worked with FBI agents all over yeah. the world, literally, and the intelligence community and the CIA, I love those guys. We brought down some of the biggest terrorists and uh, operations I've ever been a part of. So it's unfortunate that the, the leadership was proven to have just destroyed the credibility and the public trust in, in the FBI. And, you know, that that is what's, you know, hurts me the most. It's just how do we restore that? Can we restore that? Yeah. So the interesting thing uh, I'll just say, and I, I don't know if we, we actually articulated that we are a left right show. Um, you good. know, yeah, Vince's, you know, representing the right, I, I represent the left. And I'll say the left has never trusted, uh, particularly African Americans, have never trusted the FBI, because the FBI has always targeted people, uh, you know, whether it was Dr. King, whether it was Malcolm X, whether, you know, the FBI basically started with attacking uh, Marcus Garvey, you know, anti-war protesters. So there's always been a healthy mistrust of the FBI as an institution um, on the left. I don't know that, you know, they're doing themselves any favors. And I, and I, I think Vince and I have discussed a lot of times that I think what, what happened to Carter Page was unfair. Oh. Um, so I, I, will, I will say that. There are other people that I don't think were treated unfairly. I think they were treated very fairly by the FBI like Michael Flynn, but I will definitely say Carter Page got, got the, you know, got the short end of the stick. Um, I do have a question um, first, and, and I want to get back to the memo and Nunez and all that later, but I do have a question because you were interviewed by the January 6th committee. Mm -hmm. I know you probably can't talk a whole lot about what was said, or, may, or if you can, we'd love to break that story, <laughs> but I know you can't talk a lot about it, but what was the vibe, you know, kind of like what, what Vince asked you before, mm. what was the vibe where, was it accusatory? Was it, you know, was it kind of icy? Was it just kind of a fact-finding mission? Um, did you feel you were treated well by, by the committee? Uh, how, how did that all kind of shape? No, those are great questions. I can answer some of them. And I've been asking the committee to release my transcript basically every day since I gave testimony for six hours under oath. And hopefully they'll do that someday. And my very expensive lawyers are like, be careful of what you say on, on the on media. But what I can say is what I said before, before I went in to testify. Well, don't we, worry, we don't have that many viewers, but. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after this show. Uh, so, you know, wh what I did was I said, look, as a government official, it's your duty to go testify before Congress when called upon when they want to talk about actions that occurred under your watch. And at the time I was chief of staff, of the Defense Department, you know, it was a pretty big job, and I took that seriously. And I think our actions on January sixth, um, we wanted the public to know that we wrote memorandums, we gave um, testimony to the January sixth committee. The Secretary of Defense did, the Chief of Staff of the Army did, Chairman Milley did. We wanted the public to know how the Department of Defense acted on that day and before it. And so we talked about that in the committee. Uh, and, and they were, look, they were mostly cordial. And it wasn't, it wasn't uh, I, I don't want to say they were attacking me the whole time. But what I lost faith in a little bit was the, the select committee on January 6th spent five hours interrogating me on matters that had nothing to do with January 6th. Afghanistan, Somalia, 
Baghdadi, conversations with President Trump about other operations. Um, and then I asked them, you know, I entered into evidence our DOD memorandum that showed from Mayor Bowser's writing and the Capitol Police's writing as to our request for National Guard, whether they wanted them and they turned us down. You know, I wanted that record to be out there because we as the Department of Defense are in charge of the National Guard. That was our mission. And two days before January 6th, President Trump authorized the Guard. That's step A under the law. But we can't just deploy them. We have to go to the leadership and government of the town or state, the District of Columbia, and they have to request it from us. And they, they, they turned it down. They said, at this time, we do not need those troops here. And I wanted the January 6th committee to hear that, um, but we didn't focus too much on that. And that was, that was the one takeaway I had that I thought I was like, that's unfortunate because I think there should, have, there should be a bipartisan investigation into what happened there. You, and you've been, so you, you've support, been, you support the committee. I just want to, sorry, Vince. I just want to, I, I, support I, support, the idea. I support the idea of a bipartisan committee doing a bipartisan investigation. Right. Okay. Yeah, right. no, that's fair. But this is not what that is, because because in this case, the Republicans that were offered to the committee were turned down by Nancy Pelosi, and in the end, only Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney were put on the committee because Pelosi Doesn't chose that. Doesn't that make it bipartisan? No, it doesn't, because no, it excluded the leadership of the Republican Party from being able to dictate who was actually going to be a member of that committee. Well, I mean, when I say like having run a, a congressional investigation that's bipartisan, each side should get to pick who they want on a committee. That's, you know, to me, that's just like basic fair play. But what I found in this instance from the start, as I as I let off, I was like, I was willing to go in and testify. I didn't need a United States marshal to show up at my house. Right with a subpoena in hand. I didn't need the Washington Post to call me in the middle of the night before I was ever informed I was subpoenaed about being um, asked to testify. I was the first one out of every anyone else in America. I was the first one. And they didn't call me and say, hey, do you want to testify? We know who you are. We know how to get you. I would gladly have come in. But they went the subpoena route because they wanted the, the headline. So a marshal showed up at your door with a subpoena? At my home. With a subpoena. And, yeah, they, and they, I, I don't blame them. They're just doing their job. It's just right. the way the committee went about it. Yeah. I got nothing to hide. But they're being no used. They're being used for a political yeah. stunt. So, so let me ask you, let me ask you about the, the claim you just made that in the hearing, like when you were actually testifying, when you're, uh, they were asking you questions about things like al-Baghdadi. Um, yes. What was the point? Somalia. What do you know. think the point of a question like that would be? Is this a fishing expedition? Is it to try and kind of determine, are there other political scandals that we may be able to ferret out here that we could leak? What, what do you think that was about? I honestly don't know. Like, you know, my background is a national security guy. I served in the Obama Justice Department. I prosecuted more terrorists during that time in there than I did under the Trump Justice Department. You know, it was, that was my mission being that, being that way. And so I was happy to talk about that stuff, but I, I honestly didn't understand what the connection was. I, I, I said, you want to talk about the Afghanistan withdrawals? Sure, no problem. I'll tell you what I know and what I can tell you in an unclassified setting. But I don't know what relevance it has to January 6th. Can you can you tell us who who it was that was asking those questions about um, about Somalia and about uh, Afghanistan? I don't remember. So the way these things work is there's like six people in the room and people on video feeds too because we were still dealing with the COVID situation. Right. So... <clears throat> It's members and staff that are sort of going back and forth. There's no. 
Oh, that was going to be my question. Is is who who's primarily doing the questioning here? Is it staff or is it members themselves? It's mostly staff. The members came in in the beginning and they were all uh, what we call VTC and video teleconferencing in. And so you could see them for a bit, but after after a little bit, the best I recall, I think the majority of them. So you might, you might um, I don't know what you, what you want to do with this question, so I'll let you handle it. But would, the, the idea here is, uh, I, I was curious to know what you think of the January 6th committee just from the outside. So setting aside your own testimony, what do you think about the way they're conducting this investigation? Having been a guy who's conducted a thorough investigation of the government itself, what do you think of the way they're conducting this investigation? Yeah, look, my biggest complaint has always been Amer- the, the American, when you sign up to serve wherever you serve, it's a privilege. And, you know, the American public has to rely on you for accountability, both outward and inward into government itself. And so I'm always in favor, having been in Congress as a senior staffer running an investigation of investigations looking into governmental misconduct. I'm always in favor of that. Um, what I'm not in favor of is the politicization of sort of the national security apparatus to do that, because that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't it doesn't help Americans, it doesn't help the world, it doesn't help our positioning and posture on the global stage when we go to negotiate or ask our allies to do something. And so I think we've lost some trust based on some of these investigations we've run that have been overly politicized. I mean, just last week, I think they, for the first time in US history, subpoenaed members of Congress. I mean, look, the reality is having run an investigation, that subpoena timeline is gonna take two years to run and the committee is gonna run out of jurisdiction in about four months. They know that, but the American public doesn't know that. You know, why would they? Why, why should they know how congressional investigations run? I don't blame them. But to me, that's, that's not helpful. Um, there could have been other ways to go about getting that information, um, but it wasn't. That, it, that's what happens when you're in the majority. You get to, you get to decide. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, do you think that if Republicans take back the, the House Mm-hmm. and potentially take the Senate. <clears throat> Do you think that there are going to be these kind of ridiculous retribution uh, investigations and, and impeachment trials and all that to, to, because they're still angry about what happened to Donald Trump? And, and how would you feel about that? Would you, would you dissuade Republicans from doing that? Yeah, honestly, yeah, that's a waste of our time. That's a waste of the American taxpayers' money. Do you know how much money mm-hmm. I spent on the Russia investigation? It, this stuff is not cheap. Right. And, you know, it's almost like we're printing monopoly money. I don't want political retributions going on in Congress. I mean, they can slug it out in the papers. That's what they do. I don't care about that. Yeah. But, you know, pass a budget, fund the DOD, fund the intelligence community, you know, like figure out health care stuff. I want them to get together and do that. Um, I don't want them to get together and be like, you know, as entertaining as I would personally find it to watch Adam Schiff on trial. Selfishly, I'm being honest. I don't, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. That's not what Congress is for. So I I hope, look, I hope the Republicans, if they get back in power, put on their big boy pants and say, why don't we just do the job the American people send us here to do and then see if they keep us around. Yeah. But I, I wonder, you know, from where I'm sitting, if we uh, run a risk of conflating genuine accountability with a sideshow in some cases. So for instance, um, you know, there's a lot of Republicans just in terms of how they're telegraphing what they want to do uh, when they, if, and when they retake power in, in the Congress, one of them is, you know, investigations into Hunter Biden and his business dealings, which they think have not been in any way thorough. Uh, and they have the congressional power to begin to investigate that. And in particular, Joe Biden's personal exposure to all of it. The other is we've seen things like pursuits of impeachment of 
the DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, for the complete failure on our southern border, you know, the collapse of our our sovereignty as a result. Um, you know, this is these are legitimate concerns. And what's going to happen is once Republicans raise them, you know, the media is going to instantly cast them as frivolous yeah. nonsense. Like it's like, oh, this is just a gigantic waste of the American taxpayers time. When in reality, there's like there's there's actual value in those questions. Now, you may want to debate the pursuit of how you get to the bottom of them, but there is value in those issues. Look, a lot. I mean, and that's that's that there's value in the answer to those questions for I don't know if it's a majority of Americans or 50 50. Right. It depends on who you ask and where you are. Right. I think a majority of Americans or 50 50 would say there's value in the way the January 6th current committee is structured. And that's why I think that and other committees going forward are overly politicized. And I'm not I'm just not for that. Now, as a former DOJ guy, I, I always prefer to let the criminal prosecution investigations finish before congressional oversight enters, unless there is like a severe rupture in the process, like we sort of found with Russiagate. And right. so I'm fine with all of it. And if if the FBI or DOJ is not doing its job because they have actual information, then I'm completely fine with Congress coming in and saying, give us the documentation, show us what you have and tell us leadership why yeah. you're not doing X. And if so that, in other words, like on Hunter Biden, you want you want the U.S. attorney in Delaware to be able to finish his job. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I mean, beyond which, that, maybe which no one's obstructed him. Yeah, I don't think anyone has obstructed it. Yeah, no, I, I haven't seen any, doing his any, job. any any proof of that. I mean, right. it's like it's like John Durham all over again. It's like you're taking too long. And I was like, look, most people don't realize this, but I spent three, four, five years on one prosecution before I got to the X. <laughs> this stuff is complicated and it takes time. Um, but I'm always in favor of letting our prosecutors um, and our U.S. attorneys do their job and finish and, and then um, have some oversight come in. So what did what did you think about the recent revelation that the the DOJ um, is asking for transcripts from the January sixth committee? And you, as a DOJ, a former DOJ guy, do you think that that signals that there could be a criminal uh, invest or there's a criminal investigation into somebody, or that there will be criminal charges against a high ranking official? I'm not familiar with the specific request you're 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 talking about, but in general, sure, DOJ, you know me, um, we we'd go and get transcripts under oath from Congress all the time if it would advance our investigation. You know, John Durham has done the exact same thing. He's taken all sixty of my transcripts um, and is utilizing them in his investigation because they were taking their sworn statements under oath, and so. You know, if it advances an investigation at the Department of Justice, that's a righteous investigation. I'm all for it. They should have those tools. Now, there, there's a give and take. If there's a sensitivity to it or there's an ongoing matter that takes priority, then you sort of have to, you know, juggle the agencies and departments. But generally, it's it's not a it's not something that should be kept. I'm also all for just let the public read it. <laughs> you know, like that's my big thing. Like, let's put it out there. What are we hiding? Like, when the investigation is over. Yeah, there. so so you think they, that the public should be able to see what's going on as the investigation is going on? No, no, great or, point. Once it once it's over, once it's okay. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you and can't. I, have, I, yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, in, in, in particular about like these investigations are not short. There were a lot of people who complained about Mueller's investigation being too long. There were people who complained about Benghazi's you know, that investigation going on too long. And I think those investigations take time. 
you know. Yeah, I was um, the lead prosecutor for the the Benghazi stuff for Maine Justice. That took forever. <laughs> yeah, it was like a two year investigation or something like that, seven hundred days or something. And yeah. I, and I think you know, again, I think there are things about that investigation that you know I'm sure we would probably disagree with, disagree about. But at the same time. I understood if there's an investigation that we should let it actually percolate and actually see what happens. Yeah, um, I agree I'm wondering, I'm wondering, can how I, did you feel? Just can I ask a follow-up question on what you just asked Jason about the Justice Department? Um, you know, the, to, 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 to flesh out what Jason said, I'm just reading from the New York Times here so that we have it. The Justice <laughs> Department this week has asked the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack for transcripts of interviews it is conducting behind closed doors, including some with associates of former President Donald J. Trump, according to people with knowledge of the situation. The move is further evidence of the wide-ranging nature of the department's criminal inquiry into the events leading up to the assault on the Capitol and the role played by Mr. Trump and his allies as they sought to keep him in office after his defeat in the 2020 election. So you've got the Justice Department, according to the New York Times, making a request to the know, House Cass, Committee. I don't know if Cass actually trusts the New York Times. <laughs> Well, oh, look, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be upfront. I'm suing them for defamation, but we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll try to be objective. So. Yeah. Sure, sure. So they, they make they, the Justice Department comes in, and they make this request, and as you mentioned, like it's not totally unusual. I mean, there are, there are, yeah. there's testimony before Congress that ends up in the hands of the Justice Department. I guess my, where I'm, where my guard goes up here is on the idea that a political body, which has sort of expansive investigative powers, but not criminal uh, prosecution mm -hmm. powers. Can and meanwhile, the Justice Department, you know, it needs a good predicate, I thought, in order to conduct an investigation and to question someone. And so, to what extent would, does a political investigation turn into an effort to basically figure out a way to tag somebody with a crime? You know, you've got the you've got the left, which if you can read it anywhere, is like definitely jonesing for Donald Trump to be charged and and handcuffed and put in jail for something. Like, it doesn't matter what it is, you just gotta take him down. And so you do worry about the danger that comes along with uh, a house investigation being used as kind of like a pretextual way to do something that the Justice Department couldn't have done on its own. Yeah, look, as a DOJ guy, I, I you know, you, you always wanna think that the folks handling these types of sensitive investigations are your career apolitical guys. And, you know, I used to be one of them. Um, you know, I, I disagreed with how uh, Attorney General then at the time Holder wanted to proceed on Benghazi, but I said, check boss, marching orders, chain of command, that's the way we're going. And that's the type of thing that I hope is going on now um, in the Justice Department. Look, you, you're always getting referrals. And this is the other thing, this is getting down in the weeds a bit, but Congress is always sending the Justice Department referrals for criminal prosecutions. We did it during Russiagate, the Democrats did it, the Republicans did it. I'm sure they're doing it during January 6th. And so what the Justice Department is saying, in my interpretation, is, okay, what's your basis of the referral? It's the transcript. They're probably saying so-and-so lied to Congress, or we believe they lied to Congress. Will you, the Justice Department, look at that? And I'm fine if that's what they're doing, and the Justice Department looks at the law and applies the facts and makes a decision just based on that. But I do agree with you on the over like political stuff. Like I hope DOJ is not just looking at it for the sake of just looking at it from a political lens. I, you know, I, I hope not. We didn't do that. I never practiced that. So that's, that introduces something interesting. I hadn't thought of that. So, so this could just be Congress making referrals. Yeah. And then the justice department saying, okay, show us the transcripts that you have. And then if 
you know, they happen to hit it big. They, they, they're luck. They, they find one that the Justice Department goes, sure, it looks like they maybe lied to you. There was some dishonesty here. Then all of a sudden now the headlines are process crime. This guy lied in testimony before the January 6th committee. And now we've got, you know, another scandal in the headlines. Well, the headline, like I've been the subject of a headline of an incorrect headline is Justice Department investigating. And then you insert X, a very broad subject to get a media headline, right? You know, that, you know, the Washington Post did this to me. You know, Justice Department investigating Cash Patel, but when you actually read it, they're not investigating Cash Patel. Um, they just take the referrals or they take the leak of 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 a of a request for information as an all-out investigation. As 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 you were saying, you can't just launch a DOJ investigation. You need a predicate. You have to like build to it. And yeah. if you don't meet that mark, then it's not an investigation. Man, I, I know we're, we're running out of time. So I just want to um, kind of ask about uh, the, the, you know, Trump, Donald Trump's tweets, and, and I'm not asking you necessarily to speak for Donald Trump, but Donald Trump's tweets um, where he was saying that Obama had tapped his phones. Um, and I, I know you say that the, you know, one of the things that I, you know, in preparation to talk to you was, I feel like there's a little bit of a gap in what Trump was saying and what you said. And right. I just want to know, do you agree with what Trump said or are you just saying what I was reading? And what I read is that you said uh, the FBI tapped Trump's phones. <clears throat> now, the FBI and the NSD say they have no record of that. Um, I, I said that. Yeah, did you? Did you not say that? Or, I said or that I... the FBI tapped Trump's phone? I don't know that I ever said that. Okay, so maybe maybe I've got that incorrect. That, yeah. You know, okay. I, this is knowing, why we're here. Knowing Correct how the, the FISA court works, like, uh, sorry, you go ahead, then I'll, I'll jump oh, No, 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 no. I, well, if I, if I, I'm glad we're, we're here correcting that. I thought that I had seen that it said that you had said that the FBI had tapped uh, Trump's phones. Um, then the FBI comes out and says that there was incidental and legal wiretapping of staffers. Uh, from a from the FISA warrant, um, so you're you're saying, and of course Trump tweeted, Obama, you know, tapped my phones, and it was coming from Obama himself, and you know, there's no evidence necessarily of that, unless you have some evidence, you know. So I, I wanted to know, yeah. like, is there is there like a a disconnect between what Trump tweeted, or did he misinterpret what? you know, the idea was, or, you know, was it that he's actually correct that you, that there's some evidence that Obama actually said, hey, tap that guy's phones at his offices. I mean, I love talking FISAs. I think your viewers are going to fall asleep, but I'm all in. <laughs> so look, um, basically what, what, what happens is, well, there's two things. One, there's still documentation that has never been made public. Uh, Brennan, when he was the, um, head of the CIA at the time in 20 end of 2016 went to Obama and briefed him on the operation you know let's just call it Russiagate because it's just easier to couch that way we okay. still don't know the contents of what that briefing were we have Brennan's notes that some of them have been declassified but we know that from those notes Brennan told Obama that there was a campaign paid for uh maneuver to try and uh surveil Donald Trump. That's what the notes generally say. I'd love for the document to be released. And then we would know what Obama did and didn't know and when he knew it. 
now we'll clean that up. From a FISA perspective, having been to the FISC, the federal surveillance court and asked for FISAs, you get pretty technical. So when you say, I've probably said in the past that the campaign was monitored. I, I, I'll say that today, you know, with affirmation. When you ask for a FISA on target X, what you're able to do with your collection capabilities is do this couple of hop thing. And then you can go from like your target to who he's talking to, to who they're talking to, and maybe even to who they're there they're talking to. And what we do as prosecutors is when we want to launch an investigation with a FISA, we, we get the target that we can easily show to be an agent of a foreign power. That's what you have to prove in a FISA application, a, even though it's not the target of the criminal investigation, because we can get through him, we can get to others that we want to surveil. And that's the purpose of and how FISA works. Now, whether or not you agree with FISA is a whole different story, but I have said in the past, with without a doubt, that the campaign was, you know, if you want to use tapped or surveilled or whatever, but that that happened. I don't think I've ever said that Donald Trump's phone was was, was tapped. Okay. Okay. Now that's a good clarification. Um, because I, I read that uh Devin Nunes actually uh agreed that it was, you know, that the wiretapping came. It was of staffers and that it came from the legal FISA war. You know, that, am I correct there? I think what I'm allowed to still say is some of that stuff still classified, but generally speaking, if the target of your FISA is talking to other people, um, you can collect on that stuff. Uh, okay. And so, you know, you can extrapolate from there if yeah. the target was and, part of page. Who else was it? And government officials have used that specifically, right? Not to not to go after the the target of the FISA themselves, but in order to yeah. like you know backdoor into a person that that person's speaking to. A hundred percent. I did it. You know, like you know, when I was trying to chase down terrorist targets, I'd be like, who can I get enough information on to make a case to the FISA court for, even if I my subject is A and I want to target B. Right. You, know, you still got to jump through a bazillion legal hoops and rightly so to get there. So yeah. speaking of, of, of back doors and back channels, first of all, I think you should get an audio version of your book read by Fiona Hill, because I love to hear Fiona Hill talk. You know, her voice, her accent is amazing. Um, what, are, what do you think about, um, first of all, I guess the, the, the broader question is, uh, do you agree with, with the Mueller report that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. Well, I mean, I agree with our report, which was, I think, two or three years before that, which is what we said. We said that then um, <clears throat> Russia interfered with the election. And okay. we showed it in our like 500 page report. But that was two or three years bef before Mueller. Mueller. OK, yeah. so yours came out like immediately after 2016, uh, like 2016. End 2017, maybe early 2018. It was on the whole Russian active measures, all that stuff, FISA, everything was sort of grouped into one thing. Okay. So the so fundamentally, your your report agrees with the Mueller report that Russia interfered in our election. That's yeah, we proved it. I mean, I think where where there's public disagreement is they don't get into the weeds of we showed how much money Russia spent in our Russian active measures report and how it affected social media and things like that. And it was on a very small number. And what we couldn't find evidence on, and I believe Mueller came to the same conclusion, is that we couldn't find evidence to show that that interference changed somebody's vote or altered a machine or what have you. So that, that question we couldn't answer, and I don't think Mueller did either.
Okay, I, th- I thought Mueller actually did, but maybe he didn't. Uh, you know, I, that was a long time ago, and that was yeah. a long report. That <laughs> was a long report. Yeah, so I, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. necessarily go into, you know, uh, into that. Um, but what did, what did you, you know, I know you, you've kind of denied um, Fiona Hill's claims that you were back channel in Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. I guess right now, um, with everything that's going on in Ukraine, what, what is kind of your broad view of what's going on? And what do you think about, you know, Finland and Sweden joining NATO and, and some of the things that are going on in that region? Man, I love talking about this stuff, but that's like a hard, hard, at, hard uh, sell in a short time. Um, so like, yeah, look, when, it, when, it, when, it, when an individual who serves government like Fiona Hill goes out and lies about someone she's never met, me, and injects me into an international presidential impeachment falsely, that's a big deal. And that's not appropriate for anyone to do. You know, to say I was Trump's Ukraine whisperer, I don't even remember ever talking to President Trump about the Ukraine at that time, um, because we didn't, I was his counterterrorism guy. Um, so, and it's public, she admitted to the world in congressional testimony, her and Vindman, that they had never met me, they didn't know me, and they didn't see me. So it's very disturbing for a career official to come in and say she was bipartisan. And, and oh, by the way, we find out that she was the employee of the now indicted Danchenko, Christopher Steele source, introduced the two of them together, and then also introduced them to Clinton world. I mean, it's just not, it's not appropriate to do that to a career government guy. On the, on the Ukraine, um, it sucks. War is the worst thing ever. I hate it. And whether we're a part of it or whether our allies are fighting it or whether Ukraine's being invaded or another country's being invaded, um, it's literally not even the last measure. It should just never happen. But I think our national security apparatus failed to ward off, you know, a powerful or a, a seeding Russia to come in and do what they've done. And now we don't have an exact answer for it. I hope the situation quells and calms quickly, but the NATO thing, as you brought up, circling back to that, that's not going to help. Because if you go back historically, back to Ronald Reagan, end of the Berlin Wall and all this stuff and the Iron Curtain lifting, what, what the world promised Russia at the time in exchange was not a NATO expansion. And when we fast forward 40 years and everyone's forgotten what we said back then, I'm not saying it's right that Putin invaded Russia, 100%, no. But now we're talking about Finland and Sweden, I think, joining Russia. That's only going to kick him in the head more, which is not good for anybody, because that guy still has a whole arsenal of nuclear weapons. And so I don't know that the timing is good. Um, I really don't know. I'm not sure that I would agree that they should go right now or we should make that move right now. All right. Thank you so much, Cash. We, yeah, we really appreciate everything you, uh, you know, you spending the time to talk to us um, and you were really forthcoming and we, and we love that here. Yeah. Uh, so and don't worry with all your FISA talk, our 17 viewers are going to be very much awake that entire time. <laughs> we're really excited about it. Thank They're going to be so experts. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, no, I, I learned actually, a lot. I, I really I really enjoy it. I'm happy to do these interviews and, um, you know, hopefully uh, and thanks for letting me talk about the book, which, you know, it's just fun. And, you know, maybe people like it, maybe they won't, I don't know, but uh, I had fun doing it and I, I had a great time talking to you guys. So 
Uh, hopefully you'll have me back and tell that other Patel guy I said hello and he owes me a phone call. <laughs> we will. We'll definitely do that. Cash Patel, again, the uh, the author of The Plot Against the King. Thank you, sir. Great to talk to you. Thanks, gents.